We're in uh, uh, week four or something like that of the, our series called Good and Beautiful Life. And here's the premise of the whole thing. The premise is that when somebody dies, you know, we, we say um, th- they've moved on to a better place. And, and, and maybe they have or maybe haven't. That's uh, not up for us to decide. But I think what Jesus is trying to say through his Sermon on the Mount and through his life and what Paul's trying to say as, in the letters he wrote and what Peter was trying to say in the letters he wrote and what John was trying to say in the letters that he wrote was that life can be better now. Like this can be a better place. Like your job can be a better place, your family can be a better place, your school can be a better place. And so uh, as we invite the kingdom of God in, and further what he's saying is it can be a better place without the circumstances having to change. And so that's what we've been talking about. We've been talking about the idea that uh, God is, um, that Jesus comes with the Sermon on the Mount and he says these words, repent for the kingdom of heaven is in your midst or the kingdom of God is in your midst. And, and, and that word repent is actually a, a Greek word called metanoia, which means to change your mind. And, and as we look at the, the Sermon on the Mount and these different topics that we're going to be talking about, it's really rethinking how we look at life. And it's not like a, a psychology thing or, you know, what, whatever. It's more of just really inviting God's kingdom into our decision making. And so we looked at it this way. Maybe one of the ways you could translate repent for the kingdom of God is in your midst is this. Change the way you've been thinking. A life with intimacy and interaction with God is now in your midst. And Jesus, through his life and through his ministry and through these sermons and things, is going to show us how that actually takes place. And so for the next few weeks as we go through this series, really our ultimate goal is this. It's to allow God to be God in everything. Allowing God to be God in everything. So last week what we talked about was handling our anger. And, uh, and we talked about when you're angry, um, maybe you're angry at school, someone, a teacher gets you mad or a group of kids gets you mad or whatever. Does Jesus have anything to say about that, you know? Or maybe it's in your office. You know, you've got that one person in your office. And, and so what Jesus does is he takes, he, he takes kind of what everybody agrees to, you know, don't, don't murder the, your boss, okay? You've, you've heard that said, you shouldn't murder your boss. But then he begins this thing of, but I'm going to tell you something even stricter than that, if you will. Or maybe just, maybe you think about it a little bit differently. Not just don't murder your boss. I don't even want you to call somebody a name like you fool or you good for nothing. You're like, well, that, I can't talk at all if I can't do that. All right. He's like, I, I want you to start thinking farther back in your decision-making process. I want you to change the way you think about anger. And that's what we talked about last week. And if, and if you weren't here, I encourage you to download the uh, sermon from our podcast so we can stay up on all these things. Well, this morning, what we're going to talk about, and we're just so thankful that the youth is with us, we're going to be talking about lust. <laughs> it's like, oh, you know, uh, it's like, what? What a bummer. Um, But we are, and there's nothing you can do about it. Uh, And so uh, I wanted to get to this, uh, this 
time cover that came um, last year at about May, and uh, it says the me, me, me generation. Millennials are lazy, entitled narcissists who still live with their parents. Why they'll save us all is the, is the uh, article name. Now, if, when you read the article, you'll realize it has nothing really to do with that. In fact, what it talks about um, is, is uh, uh, just kind of how every generation is really the me, me, me generation, and um, how, what is happening in today's generation, how it's really actually good. I was listening to one of the executives of DreamWorks this last week uh, at this conference that I was at with Pastor Bob, and he said this, and I thought it was so true. He said, we're all millennials now. I mean, we all, we all, I mean, most of us, 90-something percent of us all have cell phones now where, where, where we can get information right away. We, if we don't have a cell phone, we've got a computer in our home or we've got a computer at work, and, and we, can, we can just, it's like right now. And I don't know if you're like me, but I'll be in a conversation frustrated because, like, we'll be talking about something like, who played, you know, who played that person? And, you know, you're immediately like, this is ridiculous that we don't know this. And so you start looking it up and it's like, John Travolta. Oh man, I know. What was that? You know, and we demand, we demand it now, you know, and, and, and we kind of all do. And we talked, I talked last week about when I want my coffee and kind of how that, and now you got the coffee where you can just put the pod in there, you know, and just get a cup of coffee. And I want the chocolate one, the chai one, the thing, you know, I just grab whichever pod I want. I want it right now. And we kind of demand that. We're all, we're all like that. And so, and so this article, not necessarily that, but it, it just displays to us what maybe one of the problems that Jesus was even trying to face even back then. Because in the church, we like to talk about, well, uh, you know, everything's going to hell in a handbasket now. Back in my day, you know, back in your day, you were jacked up too. We were all jacked up. That's kind of the whole point of the Bible. It's really old and it's still talking about the same stuff. Okay. And so Jesus, what he does is he comes on, he says, repent uh, for the kingdom of heavens at hand. And then we talked about anger. And then he goes on to the thing we're going to talk about this morning. And he says this, he says, uh, you've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery, okay? That's the thing everybody knows. I mean, we're not, even in our progressive um, environment, our progressive culture, if you will, n- there's very few people that are like, oh, adultery? Yeah, don't worry about it. We kind of all agree with that. And Jesus goes with the same thing thing he said last time, but I tell you that anyone who looks on a woman lustfully, and we're going to learn another Greek word, not so that you can go to church, I mean, to work tomorrow and brag about the Greek words you know, but we're going to see this word all over the Bible, epithumia, okay? And the way you can remember it is epithumia. Okay, that's how you can remember it, okay? Because that's what it's all about, okay? Uh, uh, Whoever looks at a woman lustfully, this epithumia, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, here's what Jesus is doing. We're all about outward appearances. Like, I don't know what, how it's like now at school for you guys, but when I was at school, there was, everybody was in these little camps. And so like one would be like the preppy camp and you guys probably don't have preppies now because, you know, and then one would be like the jocks and all that kind of stuff. The outward appearance was like super important, okay? And, and, and it's like, you know, I'm talking to you guys, but really they go to work at their place and it's just like that. Um, and, and so you, it's outward appearances. And Jesus is trying to go, Outward appearances, we all get those things. I want you to go back in your decision-making process all the way into why. 
what is happening to me? Why am I trying to short circuit a certain process? And so Jesus says, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. And you can kind of add to that. Jesus is saying, and you still shouldn't, okay, just so we're clear. Uh, But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman lustfully, there's something going on in his heart. And that's what Jesus wants to talk about. Now, so I'm going to give you guys just like this little triangle. And, and, and if you're going through the book, Good and Beautiful Life, you, you heard the, this triangle referenced. Um, I made up my own triangle. And here's what it looks like. And um, <laughs> so on the left-hand side, you've got level of sexual intimacy, okay? So this, this kind of answers the question, how far is too far, all this kind of stuff. You know, you, you say, well, whatever. And then the, the right-hand side is the level of commitment. And, and this is kind of the way God designed us, is that as we've made commitments and we're sticking with those commitments, the level of physical intimacy can, can progress, okay? And, and so that... that, that very top part, that's called marriage, okay? Because the level of commitment is I'm sticking with you for life. One man, one woman for life. I'm sticking with you. And that opens the door for um, sex, okay? So if you feel uncomfortable with that, um, when two people really love each other, what happens is, okay. Um, so down at the bottom is no touchy down there and no commitment. So in, in relationships where there's no commitment, there's no, I mean, but we know this. There's no physical, uh, uh, no sexuality, okay? As that level goes up, so does the physical intimacy go up. Now here's what our culture is just every single day when you turn on your television, if you're, if you're recording um, the Packers and uh, 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 game, then you'll... Um, You'll see this, okay? It's this, this is the new triangle, okay? No commitment, level of sexual intimacy is high. So essentially, essentially, just if I can just talk to the dudes, okay? Like heaven, right? Like you can just have sex with whoever. That's kind of where it's, it's come, okay? This is, this is where we are in society. The big push is, look, as long as you're both consensual, uh, there doesn't need to be any commitment. And so it gets all jacked up like this. There's no commitment, but you can have sex. Now, the thing is, what? Why is that so bad? See, Jesus says, okay, if you've, if you've lusted after a woman, you know, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. Well, why is that so bad? Nobody got hurt. If, if, if she doesn't know I'm doing that and I, you know, it's just my own thing, my own thoughts, and there's no, there's no victim here, right? I mean, you've probably heard this yourself in some of the circles you're at. If two people want to go do that and no commitment, they should just be able to do that. But see, here's the thing. This is the problem with God. He really, really loves you and cares about you and he's created you. And he knows that this is a fantasy. That, that sexual intimacy without commitment is a fantasy. That the thought that there won't be any victims is a, is a fantasy. It's a fallacy. And this is, while Jesus just picks on adultery and lust and all that kind of stuff, what I want to talk about this morning is fantasy. The things that happen inside our head where we're thinking not about reality, 
but about, boy, wouldn't that be neat? So if you're at school and you're thinking, boy, wouldn't it be neat if that teacher got hit by a train? You know, uh, it, uh, that's fantasy. Or I, I wish this group of kids would be exiled to another island and just be gone, and that way I can just live like... Or maybe if, if you're in work, you're thinking to yourself, boy, it would be awesome if my boss, um, you know, could just disappear or my whatever. I wish my kids would move out of the house. You know, whatever your fantasy is, okay? Listen, God doesn't help us in fantasy. He helps us in reality. And because of that, because we don't experience God in fantasy, because we experience him in reality, what Jesus is saying is, stay in reality. It will go better for you. Because what happens in fantasy is that we play God. Think about your fantasies, okay? Just, and keep them to yourself. But uh, just think about the things you think about. And let's not pick sexuality. Let's just pick winning the lottery. All right? How does it work? You sit, you're sitting there and you think to yourself, all of a sudden you're driving down the road. You see the billboard. It's like lottery, you know, half a billion dollars. You're like, wow. Well, first thing I'd do, I, I'd give a lot to the church. You know, that, that sets the tone for your fantasy. Like, now God can bless it, okay? Okay, but you think, whatever it is, I'll give it to charity, whatever. And then you start thinking, okay, and I wouldn't go crazy like all those other people do. I'd just pay off my house, pay off the kids' college education, get a Maserati, but I'd keep it off to this. No one would ever see it, and i just kind of do my thing and fly around in my jet. No big deal, right? It's like, it's like that, that's it. And the, and the Lord is not going to help you in that fantasy, The Lord wants to help you in reality. But in that fantasy, you're God. I get to do this. I get to do that. If I want this, if I want that, if I want to pay off my kids' college, I do do whatever I want. Guys, in sexual fantasy, what is it? Again, I don't mean to make you uncomfortable. No, I do. Anyway. uh, (laughs) But it's like, oh, I'll just walk into the room and she'll have sex with me. It's like, she she performs for me. Okay, that's, that's fantasy. That, that she's going to just do whatever I want. Well, ladies, you think about someone else's husband. You think, I'll bet, I'll bet he writes her poetry every day. <laughs> I'll, bet, I'll bet every morning he puts a rose right on her bed and he goes to work. Fantasy. <laughs> right? But what is he doing? He's doing exactly what you want him to do. You're God. When it comes to fantasy, we become God. Now, here's the thing. In the Bible, if you follow the Bible, or maybe you've just, you just started opening the Bible for the first time in a long time. As you read through that, every time somebody plays God, it goes bad. Like every time. Every time someone tries to take control, and now they're the man or they're the woman, it goes bad. And so you can imagine why Jesus is almost looking out over that crowd going, guys, you got to get your heart figured out, okay? You got to get that taken care of. Otherwise, you're going to live in fantasy. And guess what? God ain't there. He's in reality. Well, check out this verse. This verse is incredible when you think about it. Uh, It's uh, 1 Peter 2, um, verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, in other words, The culture is going to be pushing you one way. You have to pretend like you don't even speak their language. That's what he's saying. 
to abstain from sinful desires, that word epithumia. Okay, you can just insert sinful desires with epithumia. Which wage war against your soul. You know what's incredible? This is, think about this. We're going to get all theological now, okay? Think about this. Sinful desires, they didn't even, he didn't even say actions. The desire, the fantasy, playing God in your mind, it wages war against your very soul. Now you can imagine if you have a heavenly father that loves you, that designed you, that knows you, and knows every circumstance that you're in. If you're waging war against your own soul, don't you think he cares about that? Don't you think he wants to speak to that and go, you don't need to do that. I know it's hard at school right now, but, you know, you can handle it. With my help, you can handle it. I know your marriage is hard right now. I, I can see what's happening. Yes, he's a knucklehead. I got it. I understand. She's, you know, a knucklehead, whatever. But, but we can get through this. Your fantasy is waging war against your soul. Because in fantasy, you become God. And it never, ever works out right. So that's what Peter says. One of, the, one of the things we've been saying for weeks, and we'll continue to say it, and we'll continue to, to, to really flesh it out, is that this, we say it this way at church here. God doesn't call us to kingship. He calls us to stewardship. Okay? God isn't asking you to be king of your life. He's asking you to manage your life with what he's given you. And you say, well, I want more of this and less of this. That might be the case. But how are you managing what you have right now? You go to a certain school at a certain time and you take certain classes. How are you handling that? You have a certain job with a certain boss and certain coworkers. How are you handling that? We want kingship. We want those people gone, these people in. I want this person doing this and this person doing that and that person doing that. And then I'll be happy. Why is that so hard? <laughs> you know, it's my fantasy, you know. Now, the Bible just makes this incredible statement. If by fantasy we play God, what would it be like for God with all that power to pretty much make anybody do what he wants? What if he were in your shoes? What if God came down and decided to live like a human being? What would their life look like? What would their thought life be? How would they think about other people? How would they think about your coworker, your teacher, other students, your boss, your employee, wherever you're at? How, how would God deal with life? Well, fortunately... <laughs> That happened in Jesus. And watch what Paul says about how Jesus handled his life. It's so eye-opening for us and our, and our fantasy. He says this, In your relationships with one another, consider... Uh, oh, no. There we go. In your relationships with one another, have the same what as Christ Jesus? Mindset. So, so here's what we're talking about. If we're talking about Jesus, and he says, do not commit adultery. If you, if you even look at a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery in your heart. There's something that, G that Jesus has given us in his own mindset where he's controlling that. So it, wasn't, it doesn't say in your relationships, do what Jesus did, although it could have, and it is basically getting that. Have the same mindset 
as I come into this situation at the gym, at school, at work, in my neighborhood, I come in with Christ's mindset. Now watch what his mindset was. It's very fantastic. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. If Jesus could raise someone from the dead, okay, he could probably make somebody do what he wanted them to do. Don't you think? If, if, you're, if he can stop someone from being paralyzed, if he can take a blind man and make him not blind, if he can take a woman who had a bleeding, a hemorrhaging par- problem for years and years and years and make her stop hemorrhaging, let me put it this way. If he can walk on water, don't you think he could walk on people? Don't you think he could, don't you think he could make them do what he wanted to do? Don't you think when he got to the Pharisees, he could just be like, boom, and the guy's like, God, my arm's broken. And he's like, uh-huh. Go ahead and talk to me again about that and see what happens, right? <laughs> don't, don't you think he could have been like, yeah, you know, you, you fly over there and you, and psh, yeah, yeah. You know, he could, he could do anything. He's God. But he didn't use it to his advantage. In other words, the guy who could fantasize and actually make it happen didn't do that. And Paul says, in your relationships, that's exactly what I want you to do. It goes on. It gives us a little more insight into that. He says, rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. How many of your fantasies involve you being a servant? (laughs) Could you imagine your two dudes sitting there at the club, right? Hey, dude, check her out. You know what I'd like to do? What? I'd like to listen to her talk about her day for hours. Dude's like, oh, yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. I'd like to make her breakfast in the morning. Wake up real early. Just clean the whole house. Oh, yeah. The whole house. Right? Our fantasies aren't that way. Like, ladies, it's not just like, you know, hey, look at that guy. There. You know, I'd love, to, I'd love to just make him dinner and have him just Put his clothes everywhere. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's what I'm talking about. No, it's ne- our fantasies are never about serving others. It's all about what? Serving ourselves. And so Jesus comes along and he says, I, I-, I can do anything I want. And guess what I'm doing? I'm taking the very nature of a servant. It goes on. It gets even worse. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. How many of your fantasies have to do with you humbling yourself? Like, I just like to walk into my boss, like walk right in his cubicle and say, you're doing a great job and whatever you need today, I'm yours. You want me to work late? Fine. I just walked out of there. (laughs) I just just humbled myself. Good, way to go. No, they don't. But Jesus did. The guy who could have done anything chose to humble himself. Check this out. So let's do this then. What do we do with our fantasies? Because we all have them. You know, we all get trapped in them. 
We all, we all think about stuff we shouldn't be thinking about in ways we shouldn't be thinking about it, okay? And some of it's sexual, and some of it's emotional, and some of it's financial, and, you know, pick whatever you want. As a matter of fact, when Paul uses his word epithemia one time to the church in Rome, he said, I wouldn't even know about epithemia except that it said, do not epithumeo, covet, Okay, so he goes back to the Old Testament. And when he calls covet, he says, uh, covet your neighbor's uh, wife, uh, sexual, cover, co- co- covet your neighbor's ox. Like he's got like, you know, I guess back then you're just like, oh, it was like he has a Lexus ox and you have like a, you know, Kia ox or whatever, however it worked. But you're thinking, I want the Lexus ox, uh, donkey, um, their slave, you know, all these types of things. It's like, it's like you fantasize about living their life. He says, don't do that. We, we, have, a, we have a thing in our house that we've t- talked about for years with our kids. And, and that is don't feed the fantasy. Are you nurturing a fantasy? And so if there was something on television and it wasn't really that big of a deal, some Disney movie or whatever, and we just didn't want them to watch it because the acting's bad or whatever, uh, we, uh, we would, we, and, and they were like, well, what's wrong with it? Like, you know, there's no murders in it or anything. We would say it just feeds a fantasy that, that life is all about some boy. Or life is all about some girl or down with the system or whatever fantasy you're trying to create in, in that. that. That's all that is. It's just, it just feeds that. And we don't want to feed our fantasies. We want to starve them. And so how do we do that? And what I wanted to do in just this next part of the sermon is talk about some ways we can starve those fantasies and some ways we can actually win. Okay, because for some of us, and I, I just want to speak to some of you who are struggling with in certain areas. And one of the things what we could have done in this sermon is we could have just focused everything on pornography. Um, and I could have given you statistics that would be very shocking and very troubling uh, about just the prevalence of pornography. I could talk to you about uh, the, the different cultural, basically just acceptance now of pornography. I could tell you heartbreaking stories about many, many people, some who I come into contact with that are dealing with the addiction. I could give you statistics on just how prevalent it is with young uh, uh, girls and young boys, how, how um, it just covers a bigger and bigger gamut. I could tell you all that kind of stuff, but we know it's wrong. <laughs> so, and we can't change culture, but we can change our lives. We can change us. We can change this church. And so this is, these are three ways to kind of just get past fantasy. And whether you're reading romance novels as a woman or you're just, or, and, and, and there's this, these relational fantasies you have, or if it's something sexual or something financial or whatever. So the first thing, if you want to write these down, the first thing is to apply kingdom economics. <laughs> you're like, what the heck is that? Apply kingdom economics. Well, Jesus, throughout uh, his preaching, talked a lot about how little things matter. Um, I guess if you, I, I, I guess if you were to say it like in our vernacular, um, attention to detail would would be one of the things that's really important in the kingdom. Like another, um, Jesus one time said, "Faith is like if you have the faith of a mustard seed, like this tiny little faith. You know, it, the kingdom is like a mustard seed. If you just get a little bit of it, it'll flourish into this big bush." 
Okay, that, that attention to detail. For some reason, in the kingdom, little things matter. Jesus said it this way in Luke 16, 10. He who's faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. If you can be faithful with little things, it's going to affect the bigger things. As a matter of fact, when, if I ever, uh, well, I've been asked to speak at different men's things. And the issue of pornography comes up quite a bit in the men's things because uh, it's mostly a male-dominated topic. Um, but uh, uh, I'll preach on this particular verse. Because what happens is the, the dynamic of church is stop doing that. It's bad. Well, duh. <laughs> like, well, of course it's bad. Like, just, want, just saying stop isn't going to help. Well, this principle is, look, in order to get the big stuff handled, you got to get the little stuff handled. So if you're driving to work and there's a billboard that's on your way to work every single time and you know exactly where it is and you kind of see it in your peripheral vision, this is what it would look like. This is what faithful with little looks like. Lord, in three-eighths of a mile, I'm going to be passing that billboard. I need your strength. I want to win this battle, this little battle. I just, I'm going I'm to purpose now. I'm not going to look at that billboard. And so it just starts. That, you begin to invite Christ into these little decisions. Lord, I, I can see what's coming down the street, or I'm at the gym. I know what's over there. Lord, I, I want to be the type of man that can just work out without having to think about anything else. I want to be the type of man who can say, so Lord, would you help me with these little things? And you will watch how your mindset will begin to change and those little things will help the big things. This, this kingdom principle of, of faithful with little works in almost every topic. Sometimes I talk to people and, and they're new to the faith. And so they're going along and they love Jesus and they love the Bible and all this kind of stuff. And then they're reading along or they're learning or they're listening to somebody on their way to work uh, like, uh, um, on the radio or whatever. And all of a sudden someone starts talking about the tithe and they're like, they're like wow, the tithe, what, what is that? Oh, it's giving, it's giving God 10% of your income. And you're like, huh? Are you joking? Like, how is that even possible? I can't even give me 10% of my income. <laughs> let alone give it to God, right? And so they'll come to me and they'll say, hey, you know, it's almost like they'll bring a budget. Like, I don't care about your, like, what are you doing? It's like, tell me where I'm supposed to find 10%, you know, like in here, you know, help me. And it's like, why don't you just find 1%? Why don't you just, why don't you begin the process? Well, how about your faith with little? How about you control your spending? We'll just start there. Faith with little. And all of a sudden you begin to watch freedom in their finances and all these types of things just unfold. It's the same principle. Applying kingdom economics. The second thing is this. I cannot underscore this enough and it seems pretty obvious. But take serious action. Wanting to stop is different than wanting to change. See, we all want to stop whatever bad thing it is. But very few of us want to actually change. Like, oh, you want to stop doing that? Well, then you're going to have to do this. Well, I ain't doing that. Well, then you don't want to stop. I really do want to stop. Oh, oh, okay, good luck trying to just stop. You can't stop unless you change. And so this is what, this is what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 5, 29. Right after he says, if you commit adultery in your heart, you commit adultery. He says this, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it uh, away. 
It's better that you lose one part of your body than for your whole bo- body to be thrown into hell. Well, that's a pretty good argument, I guess. <laughs> good one, Jesus. <laughs> that was great. Here's what he's saying. He said, listen, do you want the fullness of the kingdom in your life? You're going to have to start making some sacrifices. Is, is there a problem in fantasy where you're, you've got these different things that you wish this and you wish that? Then you're going to have to take serious action. Now, he's not saying really... Uh, uh, cut out, gouge out your eye. He goes on, he says, if your right hand causes you to stumble, uh, cut it off and throw it away for it's better to you lose one part of your body than, the, than to be uh, for your whole body to go into hell. I mean, we would all just basically be rolling into heaven, okay? If we cut off everything that made us, you know, that made us stumble, we'd just be like, you know, oh, I made it, yay! You know, uh, this isn't what Jesus is saying. Listen, here's what he's saying. The kingdom of God is so valuable. Why would you waste it on fantasy? God is not there in fantasy. He's in reality. So invite him into your reality. If there's something that causes you to stumble, if you have a conversation with a girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever, and it, it gets you into that vein of just like, yeah, I just wish, I just wish, stop those conversations. If you're on the internet, you just cannot control yourself, get rid of the internet. I've got a friend... Uh, who uh, has got an iPhone and, and he took, the, uh, his wife has the password to his iPhone uh, and, and so he took the internet off his iPhone, which is incredibly frustrating when you're dealing with him because I'm like, hey dude, look that up. And he's like, I can't. My wife has the, I'm like, duh, okay. But the point is, he doesn't struggle. He's free from that. I don't know what the conversation looked like with his wife. He's like, can you please put a password on here that I can't know? Like, Why? Uh, you know, I don't know, I don't know how that went down, but it went down. She's got the password. Whatever it takes, serious action. I'll, I'll tell you what happened to me. Um, uh, it was about 19 years ago. Uh, the internet just came out. Um, and so, uh, I was struggling. I was struggling. There was no such thing as filters. There was no nothing. And uh, my daughter, Audrey, was about six months old, even less than that, three months old. And our computer was in her room. And so um, uh, uh, she was asleep, and I had the computer open, and I was looking at an image you shouldn't be looking at. And my daughter's asleep behind me. And the whole room was like filled with that like blue glow from the thing. And I got freaked out. It just, it felt to me like there was just like a demonic presence in the same room as my daughter. And it was like, I better get this handled. And so I had to go through a series of very uh, difficult events. One of them was, I was at this men's retreat with our church. We had this big church. And... um, and so the pastor's talking to a group of men, and, and he's saying, um, he was talking about lust and all this kind of stuff. And he's like, guys, he's essentially saying what I'm going to say to you in just a little bit. You can get this handled. Like, you don't have to struggle with this. You can have victory over this. It's possible. Okay, now you're always going to have a sex drive. You can't do anything about that. God put that in you, and good luck trying to get rid of it. But, but it's there, okay? But, but lust... And, and, and objectifying women, you, you, can, you can have victory over that. So he was talking about that. And he's like, how many people want that? You know, of course, we all raise our hand because who's, who's going to be like, no, I'd like to objectify women, you know, <laughs> down with women, you know. <laughs> you know? So, so, you know, everyone raised their hand. Then he traps us 
And he's like, how many want to do whatever it takes? And it's like, wait a second, you know, where are you going with this? And so he said, what I would like is everyone who raised their hand, I'd like you to get into accountability. And it's like, oh, man, that's why I don't raise my hand in church for anything anymore. Um, and so, so he says, look around, all you with your hands up, and, and find somebody. And I remember, uh, I'm good friends with him now. I didn't know who he was then, but this guy, Glenn, um, I'm raising my hand. I like look over and he's got his hand raised and I got my hand raised. And I go, I, this is what I said. I'm like, you want to be my accountability partner? And he's like, yeah. It's like, it was like, like, like I, yeah, it was just, it was extremely uncomfortable, but not as uncomfortable as the list of questions we got that we had to ask each other every week. And they were difficult questions. And the last question was, were you, honest in all your questions. It's like they even trapped for that. Like, ugh. so I found another church and I got rid of my accountability partner. And I was like, the church of the objectifying women, you know, no. Um, uh, so through that very uncomfortable weekly meeting, because I didn't know Glenn very well. And it's like, I, I'm not doing nothing because I'm not, I'm not going with some dude I don't even know and admit to anything. So it was like, and so we began this friendship and all of a sudden it's like, I began to see victory. And, 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 and so then we started some other things. And, and it's like, it, it was like all of a sudden, I realized one day, I'm free. <laughs> now listen, this is what Jesus wants for everybody, for you to be free from fantasy and to walk in reality with your heavenly father. That's what he wants. And so whatever it takes, if it's, you know, don't gouge out your eye. I mean, hey, I don't know. Uh, you don't, you'll probably sue me. So uh, no, whatever it takes. So look at your life. If you, if you have this fantasy that somebody else's husband is the perfect husband and your husband's a sack of potatoes uh, and you just have to just like say, I can't, I can't, we can't be with them anymore. He's too perfect. Uh, I, you know, I just keep, get rid of the relationship. Whatever it takes. Here's the third thing. This thing's just going to blow your mind. Um, it's real obvious, so it probably won't blow your mind, but when you see the amount of scriptures. So when I first became a pastor, I was really insecure because I didn't go to seminary or anything. And so uh, every time I'd make a point, I'd use like three scriptures to back up that point to like show, and the Bible says that too. Um, uh, I, I stopped doing that, and we, we tend to, as you guys know, we tend to look at a, a small section of scripture and really focus in on that. But I looked up, I did a word study on this epithumia, you know what's incredible about the word? It never sits by itself. Like the Bible never says, just don't do that. The Bible doesn't, doesn't just stick it by itself and go, that's bad. Don't do it. The Bible almost always has another action. In other words, it, it's kind of like... Um, you know, if, if, if you have an eating problem or whatever, it's like, it doesn't just say stop eating donuts. It has this other thing of like, and here's how you live healthy, okay? Well, in the idea of epithumia, of, of creating fantasy, the Bible does the exact same thing. And it's so overwhelming. The evidence is so overwhelming. I just put a whole bunch of scriptures together. And then I, cha you know, there's, some of them are quite long. So... The version you're going to be seeing is my version. I took sometimes seven verses and I made two sentences out of them. So if you're like, 
that doesn't really sound like the Bible. It is the Bible, but it's the new John version that I created so that you all wouldn't be like, if he reads another scripture verse, I'm going to leave. Okay, this first one, um, actually, I didn't touch at all because this sets it up. The third thing is to pursue God relentlessly. 2 Timothy 2.2, flee the uh, uh, epithumia, flee the desires of youth, okay? Flee that stuff. In other words, that sounds like stop it, get away from it. But then watch, and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. So it's not just stop fantasizing about stuff, but pursue God relentlessly, So the questions you're asking yourself is not when you're at school, how can we kill these students over here? Or how can I get rid of my teacher? But I pursue, God, what do you want me to do in this situation that's real with these people that bother me? it's, It's to flee the fantasy of work where your boss you know, gets hit by a train or whatever. And you, and and you, but God, God, how would you have me handle this in this situation, the way it is in reality? Check out um, 1 Peter uh, 4.1. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves with that same attitude. Remember, we talked about attitude. Do not live the rest of your earthly lives for epithumia, for desires, lusts, but rather for the will of God. It's not just don't do that, it's do that. It goes on, uh, Ephesians 4.22 through 24. Put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its epithumia, and be made new in the attitude of your minds. Put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. There's this idea that I'm not going to do that. I'm going to put this on. My day is going to be marked by how I can pursue God relentlessly. Galatians 5, 16 through 17. Walk in the spirit and you will not gratify epithumia. The flesh and the spirit are in conflict with one another. Your fantasies, listen to this, this is just crazy. Your fantasies and the Spirit of God are in conflict. This is why it says that, that, that these, these desires, these fantasies, wage war on your soul. Galatians 5, 19 through 26, the acts of the flesh are obvious, epithumia, etc. But the fruit of the Spirit is awesome. So crucify the flesh, and since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. You know what that means? The Spirit is stepping with you. Sometimes our fantasies, don't they? When you think about it, we get ahead of God. And sometimes we fall behind God in those fantasies. Why? Because we're on our own. We're God. And so sometimes we can run ahead. We try to short circuit it. We try to, try to get all our needs met without going through what God would have us go through. And sometimes we fall behind where it's like, I, I don't want what you have. That's too hard. It says, keep in step with the Spirit. 1 Peter 1, 3, I told you this was overwhelming. The amount of evidence is overwhelming. 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, in other words, you're seeing every situation for what it really is, set your hope on the Jesus stuff. Don't conform to the epithumia. Be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. 1 Peter 2, 9 through 11, you are a chosen people, very special. 
I urge you as foreigners and exiles, in other words, people who don't even speak the language of the culture, to abstain from epithumia. It wages war against your soul. Live great lives instead. Titus 2, 11 through 14. The grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness and epithumia and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives while we wait for the blessed hope. Clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus. Do not think about how to gratify epithumia. Titus 3, 3 through 7, we used to be enslaved to epithumia, but God saved us according to his mercy by washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. This washing and regeneration cannot happen in fantasy. It happens in reality. Colossians 3, you guys are like, okay, I think we get it, good. Set your hearts and minds on the things above, not on earthly things, for you died. You're dead, okay? So put to death your earthly nature, epithumia. Take off your old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed into its proper image. Man, seeing life with God's economy, understanding life in God's economy, to take serious action and to pursue God relentlessly. I'm here to tell you I've seen it over and over again. You can be set free, and that is your heavenly Father's vision for your life. Not that your circumstances work out perfect, and you win the lottery, and you marry Dirk, and he's strapping, and he, and he loves you with puppy dog eyes, okay? It's not that. It's that in your marriage, the way it is now, you, God can work through you in your school, in your work, your sex life, being single, going, I just, oh, I just want to get married so bad. And God going, okay, I, I get that. But let's, let's see, how can we work right here the way it is now? How can you be faithful with little where you are now? Now, as um, Adra comes back up, I wanted to read this other uh, verse because Paul got it. Paul lived it, and he actually wrote down kind of um, what it's like to be on the other side of all this. Um, Paul wasn't perfect. He said, uh, even in some of his letters, the things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I do. He, 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 was, he was human, just like you and I, right? But watch what he writes, and look at his mindset. Remember we talked about fantasy doesn't serve others typically, right? We don't, we don't think, we don't fantasize about how to serve someone, okay? Fantasy is about serving us. Listen to Paul, what he says. He's talking to the church in Philippi, and he's trying to figure out, should I go see him or not, okay? That's the topic of what he's talking about. He says this, for me to live is Christ. In other words, when I go to school, he didn't go to school, but when I go to school, when I go to work, I go to, when I uh, am in my neighborhood, everything about that, I, I try to make it Christ. What would Christ do? How would he think? How, what would he do? I'm going to do that. And to die is gain. In other words, if I die, I'm just going to be with Christ anyway, and that's, that's gain. Now watch what he says. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. So in other words, if I stick around, it'll be great. I can still do church. I can still minister to people. I can still do all that kind of stuff. Um, yet what shall I do? I don't know. Part of me kind of wants to die and just be with Jesus. Now watch what he says, okay? 
I am torn between the two. I epithumia to depart. Like if I had a fantasy, it'd be just to be with Jesus. It'd be to just, just to go, you know what? I, I've done, I did my job here. I did, did my, my work. You could almost, it's a stretch, but you could almost say, I lust to depart and be, I fantasize about that. Like, wouldn't it be cool if I could just kind of just be with Jesus? Now, look what he says after that. You can see it. But it's more necessary for you. Like, this is what I want to do, but it's better for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know I'll remain. And I will continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. What if our fantasies turned out to be healthy ones? What if we started thinking about, dreaming about, really wanting to serve others? What, 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 if, what if you're in a relationship and your, your thought is, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm going to stop trying to get everything I can out of this. I'm going to serve. It's a dating relationship. Maybe it's a relationship at school. Maybe it's a relationship with a teacher, relationship at work. Remember we started this, in your relationships, have the same mindset as Christ. What do you think would happen to your relationships? And what do you think God has for your relationships? 